today we are wrapping up 21 days of prayer and fasting. Can we put our hands together for that? Some of you, you're like, yes, today is the day that I have a Snickers, or today's the day that I... I watched some TV, right? Whatever it may be. But uh, thank you for joining us on this journey of 21 days in prayer and fasting. We've combined it with this series that we started this new year in called The 5% Life. If you have not been with us for this series or maybe you missed one, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the messages because this is something as a family, as a faith family, we're going to continue to come back to. Uh, we're going to continue to point your eyes towards in the lobby uh, that this is how we live out the life as a follower of Jesus. Um, you know, fasting has a way of refocusing and recentering our hearts on God. So the question is, why would you only want to do that once a year? Why would you only want to do that once a year? So I want to challenge you to, to find regular ways throughout your week to just let something go so that you can pursue Him. Let something go so that you can pursue the presence of God. We all need to be connected to God, but at times it can feel like an impossible task. And so fasting is this dependent way of us exercising our trust in God. And we say here all the time, we're here to become and be followers of Jesus. The question is, what does that really mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? You can put it three simple ways. It means to be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Just spend time with Jesus in intimate connection with Him. Number two, it's become like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He called disciples to come and follow Him, to spend time with Him, to live in community with Him. And so simply put, it means we reorganize our life around being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, but lastly, it's doing what Jesus did. The Scripture tells us over and over, we've said this every week of this series, you're probably going to hear me say it just about every Sunday here at Mosaic. Jesus says, I came to do the will of him who sent me. Who's the him? It's his father. He came to do the will of the father. In other words, did you know that Jesus lived on mission? Jesus lived on mission. And on mission means that we join him in this. God has given us a mission. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We've looked at 1% in God time. That's just simply giving 15 minutes of your day to God, to spend time communing with Him. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. It's just adding 15 minutes. Maybe you've just been introduced to Jesus. It's just starting with 15 minutes. All of us have a way that we can step into 2023 with just 1% more and be experiencing the amazing things that God could do in our life as a result. And then in week two, we looked at 1% gather time. This is time went week, spent weekly gathering in worship with God's people. So we've started our services differently, differently this year by praying and asking God, hey, we're here to meet with you. 
And the purpose of that is to recenter our hearts around who He is and what He has done for us and to remind ourselves of the importance of the gathering. It's amazing the statistics today are faithful church attendance is two times per month. That's faithfulness. And yet God has given us every Sunday the opportunity to spend time with God's people, worshiping Him and who He is and what He has said with God's people under the teaching of Scripture. And then last week we looked at 1% group time. This is time spent consistently in community with a small group of people. Jesus shows us how important this is. He not only spends time with the 12 disciples, but specifically Peter, James, and John. This close inner group of friends that they walked and talked and shared life together. And today we look at 2% go time. This is time spent annually going on mission with God cross-culturally. And we'll unpack that this morning. But essentially, the 5% life are tangible ways. It's just tangible ways that you and I step into being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Because, you know, we could talk all about what God tells us to do, but if we don't have tangible hows, how do I do that? We often slip off by the wayside. You see, we don't just want to tell you what to do. We want to equip you with how to develop a relationship with God. And every relationship in my life, in your life, is developed by choosing to invest time in that relationship. And this 5% life is just a way to invest your time. 15 minutes a day, weekly in gathering, consistently in community through small group, and then what we'll talk about today Seven days, just seven days of your life in a 365-day calendar spent on mission. That's what we're going to lean into today. You see, the Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then, now lived by him in you. That's what the Christian life is about. And so we're having a little trouble with the Scripture uh, up on the screen today, and so I want to encourage you to look at a couple passages of Scripture with me today. The first is John chapter 4. You can flip or turn on to John chapter 4 and go to uh, John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have the app downloaded, the Bible app, just listen to these words for just a moment. You see, we want to see this through the lens of the life of Jesus and through the lens of the life of the church. So we're going to look at a bunch of different passages today. Particularly, our main passage is going to be Acts chapter 1. But I want you to see how Jesus lived on mission. John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35 says this, Jesus said to them, My food... Can I get an amen for some food? Amen. Amen. Some breakfast food, some lunch food, some food maybe you laid down for the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I don't know about you, but I love me some food. I love breakfast food. 
That's probably my favorite thing. Yesterday we were at a jiu-jitsu tournament for Hudson, and uh, my wife packed all kinds of great food, healthy food, but right across the street from the Richmond Raceway was McDonald's. You can judge me later. But you know what? Of the fast food breakfast places, got it going on, okay? Sausage McMuffin, all right? And I sat down in my little lawn chair in the middle of the convention center with a bunch of sweaty kids doing jujitsu, and I took a bite of that sausage McMuffin. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for the golden arches this morning. But you know what? Jesus says, That's how he perceives the will of him who sent him. This satisfaction that he was so satisfied with God. And then he says this, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The context of this is Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus says, my food, it's not sausage McMuffins. It's the will of the Father. It's the mission of God. That is my food. You see, go time is probably the easiest of all the 5% life to show you from the life of Jesus because his entire life, not seven days, his entire life was the mission of God. His entire existence of coming here was spent on the mission of God. Jesus lived his life on mission with God to expand his kingdom to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's why he came. So much of Jesus' life, including after he raised from the dead, the 40 days that Jesus was here, was spent explaining to the people of God how important the mission of God was. And the mission of God was seeing his kingdom, his kingdom built. Listen to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. This is going to be our main passage. I want you to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this. He presented himself alive to them... Who's the them? The disciples, right? And the followers. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So Jesus rises from the dead and he just shows up. How crazy would that be? You know, he just, they're like walking to Emmaus and they're like, hey, what's up, guy following us? And then they, they walk on and they realize that was Jesus. Oh my goodness. There's moments when Jesus just like shows up in the room. Did he walk through walls? We don't know, right? He just shows up and they like touch his hands and feet and realize this is the resurrected Lord. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, Jesus had one message, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Could you imagine 40 Sundays in a row coming to Mosaic and I'm like, hey guys, you know what we're going to talk about today? Josiah, you know what we're going to talk about today? And he'd be like, after about four or five, he's like, probably the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. Jesus for 40 days preaches one sermon 
over and over. And it's the kingdom of God. So the question is, what is the kingdom of God? It's lots of things, but here's a simple definition for you. You can write this down. It's God's sovereign activity in the world. God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That's the kingdom of God. God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with the Lord, with himself. That's the kingdom of God. Did you know that after those 40 days, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he extended, he gave the mission away to his disciples. And that's the passage that we want to look at today. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Let's read this together and let's see the mission of God and how he is calling us to look at this 5% life, this go time. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So for 40 days, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. And you can see how hard-headed his disciples are because they ask him a different question. They don't ask him, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? They say, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, they were looking for a physical kingdom, and Jesus was all about a different kind of kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a, a, a kingdom of renewal, a kingdom of people coming to faith and trust and dependence upon him, that when the world passes away, that this kingdom, the Bible tells us, will have no end. It's eternal. So they ask him this question, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This, this is a group of people under Roman occupation. This is, a, this is a nation of people whose kingdom has fallen and they are subservient to another group of people. So it's not a question that's out of order, it's just a misunderstanding. And look at what Jesus said. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? What's the word? Witnesses. Let's say it again. You will be my? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you know this? The rest of the book of Acts is the disciples of Jesus carrying out his plan and his mission. The rest of the rest of this book, the rest of the New Testament, is written much by Paul to the churches to say this is what it looks like to live on this mission. So this sounds really, really important. In other words, it's kind of like when you wrote a paper in school. How many can we get an amen? You're done with that and you're glad. Okay. How many of you are still in the mix? still in the mix, and you're like, I can't wait for that season to be over. But when you turn in a, a paper and you don't have a clear thesis sentence, what happens? You fail, 
right? You fail, and uh, maybe if you're in middle school or high school, you get a little bit more gracious grading, right? If you're homeschooled, you certainly do, right? And, uh, and so maybe if you're in school, you get a little bit of gracious grading. Maybe you turn in a rough draft, and the feedback you get back is that the thesis sentence isn't clear. Well, Jesus is clear. He's saying the thesis for your life as a follower of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is that you would live on mission, that you would expand God's kingdom, and you would be a part of joining God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with Himself. It's really that simple. It's not simple to do, but it's really that simple. So here we see this big idea, and our big idea of today is this. God has, a, has given us his mission as we live, love, and labor for the glory of Christ. So as you come in every week, right outside on the wall is hashtag live, love, and labor. That's a part of our mission statement. And what's interesting is it's a unique way that we say our mission, but every church has the same mission. If it's Jesus' church, we all have the same mission. To, to know God and to make him known. That's one way of saying it, right? To, to carry out the Great Commission, that's one way of saying it. Our way of saying the exact same thing is we exist to invite everyday people to surrender everything to live, love, and labor for the glory of Christ. In other words, so that you and I would be about the Great Commission. We would be about the mission of God given here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through eight. All of us are to be about this mission. So there's three truths I want us to see this morning from this passage, and we're going to get super practical, super practical. Because the last few weeks, we've talked about the importance of loving God and spending time in God time, loving the gathering, spending time with God's people, being in a small group, and being a part of group time. But today, we're going to talk about go time. And it's important that we see our responsibility. Number one, you can write this down. We have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. I want us to say this together. We have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. You didn't sound like you mean it, so we're going to say it one more time, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, you better say it, because he's going to keep saying it, okay? Let's go. We have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. We have this responsibility. Now, some of you are like, hold up, wait a minute. You guys know the rest of that. That's right. And you're like, no, 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 you don't get it. Uh, you have the responsibility, Pastor Jamie. Uh, Pastor Joel back there in the sound booth, you have the responsibility. But you're telling me I got that responsibility? Hold up, wait a minute. You see, it isn't the job of professional pastors. I'm not one of those. Ministers missionaries. I am a pastor, but I'm not professional, okay? Uh, look at what the text says. The text says 
you will be my witnesses. One translation, I memorized this in like King James, okay? You shall be. Shall. It's like, it's, it's just as firm as will be, but it sounds more important, right? Shall be. You shall be my witnesses. This means to be about it. To be about being his witnesses. You see, we have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus left us with this mission. You shall be, you will be my witnesses. You see, a witness is not what I do for Jesus. It's who I am for Jesus. I am a witness. Why? Because he didn't just give us a task. He gave us an identity. Every single one of us, you and I, are witnesses. If we know him, if we have a relationship with him, we are witnesses. You see, when it comes to being a true disciple of Jesus, the question isn't, do I want to be a witness? The question is, what kind of witness am I? And when we get that, to that question, we ask a bunch of questions, and I'm going to give you just a couple of them. What is, one of them is this, so what does it mean to be a witness? So this word witness in the original language literally means one who has personal information or knowledge of something. Personal information or knowledge of something. One theologian said it this way, a witness is someone who tells what he or she has seen or heard. It's interesting to me that God didn't say, you shall be my lawyers. Okay, we got some lawyers in the house today, right? And uh, that's great. We love that profession. And we're thankful for that profession. Andy's not, okay? But the reality is, is that's not what he says. We're not called to be lawyers and argue the case before the minds of men. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're to be my witnesses. This is personal. We're, we're witnesses of what Jesus has done in my life. And we tell people about it. So then the question is, what are they to be witnesses of? Well, he qualifies that word. He says, you shall be or you will be my witnesses. Not Jamie, not Mosaic Church. It's great that you witness and tell people about that and invite them and help fill our seats. But the reality is, is when they come here, we are not witnesses of Mosaic or Jamie or the pastors of this church. We are witnesses of Jesus. He says this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Simply put, we are called to give an accurate testimony or witness about the truth of Christ from a personal experience. You can't be a witness if you hadn't had a personal experience. 
if you've had a personal experience and you don't tell others about it, frankly, you're disobeying God. Because he doesn't say, if you feel like it, you could be my witnesses. You know, if you feel gifted in public speaking, it'd be good if you could be my witness. You know, if you, would, if you didn't mind, maybe this week or in the next month or in the next year, do you think you might figure out a way to be, be, be a witness for me? You think that's possible? No, he tells his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. We either are being a good witness or an unfaithful witness. This 1 Peter 3 passage is is so convicting because he says, always being ready. In other words, prepared at any moment. And then to make a defense. In other words, to give an answer, to give a reasoned response. For what? For the hope that is within you. What's our hope? Colossians 1 tells us exactly what our hope is. Christ, the hope of glory. That's our hope. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. So we, we just tell people about him. So how do we do that? How do we tell the story of Jesus? How do we be witnesses? I want to give you a really basic framework. Write this down. Please write this down or go back and listen to it and write this down. Number one, you just tell people what it was like before you met Jesus. Tell people what it was like before I met Jesus. And then tell people, number two, I met Jesus when? I met Jesus when? I can tell you mine. Before I met Jesus, I was a kid living in a Christian home. So your story doesn't have to be crazy. You know, sometimes it, maybe we came to faith at, at a younger age and we're like, man, I don't have the drug addict story. That's okay. God's good. I, before I met Jesus, I lived in a Christian home. At nine years of age, I was seven rows back, seven seats over at a Christian camp, and I met Jesus. In the middle of a message, before they ever said, hey, would you be willing to come forward and receive Jesus? I received Jesus. Jesus met me in that seat, seven seats over. Like, we could drive. We could get in a car. It would take a long time, but I could drive you to Dillsboro, Indiana, to Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp. How how country bumpkin is that i could take it it was literally on this side of the room seven seats over and i was right there and the message was not particularly a gospel message and jesus met me right there in those seats and then you could go to number three write this down since i met jesus so before i met jesus this is who i was this is where i met jesus or how i met jesus or when i met jesus and then you can answer the question, since I met Jesus, this is what he's done in my life. So as you do this, you can be really basic about this. Make it personal. You know what's crazy about that story? is I've shared that story with atheists. I've shared that story with agnostics. I've shared that story with Muslims. I've shared that story with, with people who thought they were Christian, who were culturally Christian. And you know what none of them do? That's not real. That didn't happen to you. Because we have this cultural value in our world that says, your story is yours. So I just say, before I met Jesus, this is who I was. When I met Jesus, this is what happened. And since I met Jesus, he's changed me. And so you make it personal. 
you keep it short, three to five minutes. If, if people want more than that, they'll ask you for it. Or God will give you more opportunities. So make it short. Make it personal. Keep Christ at the central. Keep Christ central in the conversation. I've heard so many testimonies that are like, man, I was like, I was like doing all kinds of stuff and like thinking about killing people. And, and then before you know it, all of the attention is on you. We want to draw people's attention to Jesus. Because Jesus transforms people. You don't. And so we make it personal. We keep it short. We keep Christ in the center. And guess what? We use the word of God. Why is it important in your God time that you spend time with him so that you can know this? This is what has the power to transform people and point people to their need for Jesus. Why? Because these words matter and these words are the word of God. So, number one, we'll say it together. We have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Number two, we're just going to add this to it. We have the responsibility to tell the story of Jesus cross-culturally. See, what does that mean? Well, the text tells us. He says, you will be my witnesses, so that's the responsibility. But then he adds to it. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if the responsibility wasn't overwhelming enough for the disciples, he tells them where. He gives them direct orders. Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what is he doing here? He's giving them the scope. Here is the scope of your responsibility as witnesses in living on mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But notice, here's what we often do in church life. If you've been around church, we say something that the text doesn't say. We say, go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And the reason why we do that is because we're often afraid, we often feel the lack of resources, we often feel the lack of resources in time, talent, ability, money, and so we are disobedient to be his witnesses. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say then, he uses the word and. Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end, or the ends of the earth. You see, the sphere of witnessing is extensive. It's all the world. Not just the world we like. Not just the world that's like us. It's all the earth. It's it's all the peoples. Even the peoples we're afraid of. It's all peoples. Everywhere. It's culture. You see, we, when we begin to share God's mission right where we are, but cannot fulfill our responsibility to fully engage in God's mission without being intentional to tell the story of Jesus culturally, 
then we miss out on God's blessing and what he's calling us to. So there's two things I want us to think about when it comes to this reality of Acts 1-8. We have responsibility to cross social, cultural barriers. Jesus puts it right here for his disciples. These are Jewish people, and he says, go to Judea and Samaria. If you don't know a lot about the Samaritans in particular, the Jewish people had created roads to where they never had to go through Samaria. They walked around it. They would rather walk miles and miles out of the way than interact with Samarians. Jesus, in that John 4 passage, when it's described, he says, I must go through Samaria. He's modeling for them the importance of even going to people that we're scared of, we're afraid of, we have biases towards. Jesus says we're to go to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea. Did you know by 2043, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, there will be no majority race in the United States? This will be a nation of minorities. God is giving us the opportunity to go to Judea and Samaria without leaving our home. This couple weeks ago, I was in Hell's Kitchen, New York for my job, and the hotel where I was staying directly across the street was the Port Authority. And the Port Authority is where they are processing asylum seekers who have been placed on buses in Texas and Florida by politicians and just shipped up here. And they are being processed through there. The city of New York has rented seven hotels for these people to live. And right smack dab in the middle of all that is a church called One Community Church. And they put up 30 flyers and a hundred of these people showed up for an ESL class. I asked them, I said, hey, Chris, where are these people from? Are are they Spanish-speaking people? Do you have people in your congregation that can speak Spanish? And he said, no, you'd be surprised. Most of these people are from Turkey and Iran. And they are finding their long way from there through the southern border. These places that would be considered closed-off groups of people, Closed off from us maybe even going there to share the gospel with these people. And God is bringing them here for us to share the good news with. How amazing is that? So we have the responsibility to cross social, cultural barriers, whether we like it or not, because God has given us this responsibility. Number two, we have the responsibility to cross cultural barriers. Barriers that are created by geography and language. We know this because Jesus includes to the ends of the earth. There are 196 nations in the world with 11,000 different people groups and tons of languages. And this doesn't surprise God. And so he calls us to be his witnesses. His witnesses. Now, I don't know about you, but this can feel weighty. So, it's important that we think practically about this. So, when it comes to our church, we want to give you practical ways for you to go on mission. So, I'm going to give you some of these, and next week, these are all going to be up on the website. And we're going to provide opportunities for you to step into 
your seven days of going on mission. All we have done as a group of pastors is pray and ask God, what are you doing and how could we lead our people here at Mosaic to live on mission? God might lead you to do something else and we want to get behind you. But these are some ways that we can do this. Number one, strategic opportunities locally, nationally, and globally. Locally, nationally, and globally. So I want to give you the local opportunities. This is really practical. So the first one is this. In the month of March, the entire month of March, we need people to volunteer, to be on mission. You say, where? Right there in the lobby. Right there in the lobby. Not on Sunday morning, but we are partnering with the Shenandoah Arts community to host the Youth Art Gallery. So for the kindergarten through 12th graders who have submitted art through the Shenandoah Arts community, they've asked for a place to have a gallery. And we said yes. And so their art is going to be displayed out there in the lobby for the whole month of March, and we're going to have gallery times for people to come in. And we need volunteers who will say, I'll give an hour, I'll give two hours, I'll give a Saturday, a day, and to just be here and be a witness, to welcome people in, when people ask you who you are, to tell them who you are and that you're glad they're here, and to share the good news of Jesus. Say, I don't know about sharing the good news of Jesus. That's okay. We'll prepare you. So our first opportunity is the entire month of March. Where? In the lobby. You don't have to go anywhere. This isn't like getting on an airplane. This is getting in your car and driving back up here to the building. May 5 through 6, this is the Apple Blossom Festival. We're going to ask our small groups to join hands and say, what could we do to partner with what God's already doing here in the city? So we've got the Apple Blossom Festival. And then summer of 2023, this summer, we're going to try to create kids' outreach opportunities. So last summer we did VBS. This summer we're trying to find creative ways to empower you to love the kids in your neighborhood. And so we don't have that all figured out, but between now and the summer, you can help us figure that out, how we can be God's witnesses to the kids in this community. Then we have one in the fall, October, the last Sunday in October, our fall picnic. So we want to make that a big deal where you can invite people to the park and we can do pumpkin carving contests and pass out candy and share the good news of Jesus. And then we got one more locally. Everybody say, it's right here. Right here. Probably in this room. We're going to host a Thanksgiving dinner for the community. And so we've got people who've, who volunteer to lead that. We're going to need lots of you to volunteer to just serve on that day. You're like, I go out of town. Maybe not this year. Because you want to be God's witnesses. Maybe you just provide a turkey or some food for that. But we want to provide that opportunity. Let me go to the next one, nationally. So we got locally, that's our Jerusalem. Now we're going to go Judea and Samaria, okay? This is nationally. Summer 2023, we want to take a small group of you to Brooklyn, New York. 
Brooklyn, New York. So my friend Greg Gober pastors a church, a church plant in the uh, uh, Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn. And we want to take a small group of people to help his church, Hope Community Church in Brooklyn, to bless him to do a mission project. And then you guys know I'm a part, I was a part of the Pillar family of churches in Pillar Dumfries and this military church planting group. And so um, they're planting a new church this summer in Norfolk, Virginia. So we're going to partner with them. We're actually giving them one of our trailers. We're just going to give it to them and say, here, use this as you plant your church. But we want to send some of you to go prayer walk neighborhoods to maybe lead a mission project. So that's right here in our state, right here in our state, an opportunity to partner and do that. And we'll have all of those details soon. Summer 2023, Pillar and Brooklyn, Norfolk, Virginia and Brooklyn, New York. And then globally, globally. So we're looking to put a trip together in May of 2023. That's soon. To the country of Iceland. So I have a good friend that I spent a month with. We helped to provide a sabbatical for him. And he planted Lofstoven Baptist Church in Reykjavik. And so I had lunch with him this past Wednesday and his wife's fava. And we want to bless them by going over and prayer walking neighborhoods and serving their church by just, how many of you like to eat food? Just eating food with people and sharing the message of Jesus. Hospitality. And getting to be a part of what God's doing in Iceland. So that's May of 2023. If you're interested in that, we'll have sign-up sheets, but you could even come see me today and say, I'm interested in that. I'm leading that trip. I want to go there. I love that place. And it'd be awesome to go there with you. May of 2023. And then October of 2023, Manchester, England. So Pastor Drew, who is a part of our team, God's leading his family to go to Manchester, England to be a part of a church plant there. And so in October, we want to take a group of people who would support that church, love that church, serve that church, and begin to pray about what God could do in a partnership between Mosaic and the church plant in Manchester, England. You say, that's a lot. Locally, nationally, and globally. See, Pastor Jamie, I can't do any of those things. Well, I would encourage you to pray about it. Pray about it. There's more in you than what you think. But number two, you can take advantage of the relational opportunities that God provides in your life. Have a neighbor over to have a spiritual conversation with. Have a neighbor over or a friend over or a coworker over to just have a meal and to sit down and you use those three simple things. Here's who I was before I met Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's who I've become since I met Jesus. And I love you and I just want to share that with you. There's all kinds of things that you can do practically. But then number three, you can see your vocation and recreation as an opportunity. This year, I joined a jiu-jitsu gym. One, because I wanted to try something hard. But you know what God has done? God's opened up opportunities to share my life and my story with people that I sweat on, who try to like break my arm off. It's amazing, the opportunities. And that's through recreation. How about your job? God's given you opportunities. 
I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, no way. I'm not equipped. I'm not trained. I don't have ability. You know what God says? You shall be. You will be my witnesses. But as we close, I want to encourage you, every single person this morning, he has not asked you to be his witnesses on your own. What does he say here at the end of this passage? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know where else he says this? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. God gives you and I his spirit and he goes with us. You are not alone in the mission of God. He promises to go with you. As we close, I want you to think about this. If we want to spread the gospel and see Christ glorifying conversions, if we want to see breakthroughs in difficult, even seemingly impossible situations, we must have more power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent so that all of us, whether or not we're in formal ministry, could reach out to humanity and rely on a power beyond ourselves. So there it is. There it is. God's Holy Spirit wants to come and empower you and I to take the mission locally, nationally, and globally. He's calling you and I to just give 2%, 2% of our life. You see, the what is our mission. We invite everyday people to surrender everything to live, love, and labor for the glory of Christ. Why? Because Jesus has invited us to be disciples, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. How do we do that? We spend time daily in fellowship with Him. We spend weekly time gathering with his people. We spend time consistently in community and then we spend time going on mission for God. That's our invitation to each of you that you would just take one more step into the 5% life. I know we're over time. I'm like 10 minutes over time. How amazing is that? We're not going to sing one more song. I'm going to call an audible, but here's what I want us to do. He's going to keep playing. He's, he's going to keep playing, but I want to invite everybody to stand. And I want to close out this series praying over us and asking God to fill us with His Spirit and empower us to take the next right step. Would you do this with me this morning? Would you just open up your hands? I know it's weird, but just open up your hands and say, God, here's my life. I ask that you would use it. Show me ways that I can be your witness. I ask you, God, to empower me to live this out personally. To empower us to live this out as a people. God, help me 
pursue you in God time. God, help me to pursue you through the gathering of your people. God, help me to pursue you by living in community just like you did. And God, help me to be your witness and to live on mission for the rest of my life. God, we need your help. We need your help. God, we ask that you would empower us to live this 5% life that flows out of a life of intimacy with you, rooted in community and connected to God by living out your mission.